we showed very clearly that chimpanzees indeed uh, have these extraordinarily complex cognitive abilities and that they are autonomous and self-determining beings. We're, we're not arguing that chimpanzees should have human rights. We're arguing that chimpanzees should have legal rights that are appropriate to a chimpanzee. So we're really saying that a chimpanzee should have chimpanzee rights and a human should have human rights. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Craig Williams coming to you from a very sunny Southern California right before a huge rainstorm. I write our legal blog called May It Please the Court. My co-host Bob Ambrosi is off today skiing in Denver. Before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsor Clio, an online practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. Well, on December 2nd, 2013, the first ever lawsuit was filed on behalf of captive chimpanzees in the New York Supreme Court. The purpose of the lawsuit was to grant those animals bodily freedom and transfer them to a cageless sanctuary in North America where they could live out the rest of their days in an environment that more closely resembles their natural habitat. Since this initial filing, a series of cases has worked its way through the New York court system. And for our uninformed listeners, the New York Supreme Court is actually the first and lowest court in the state. Well, on December 4th, 2014, Tommy the Chimp lost his appeal in the New York State Appellate Court, Third Judicial Department, when it decided that a chimpanzee is not a person entitled to the rights or protections afforded by the writ of habeas corpus. As a result, Tommy is not going to be released from captivity. Tommy's 27 years old and one of four chimpanzees on behalf of the relief was sought. At the time of the initial lawsuit, he was living in a used trailer lot in Gloversville, New York, isolated in a cage in a dark shed on the owner's property. Since that time, one of the chimpanzees has died, and despite this most recent setback, the Non-Human Rights Project is going to continue their appeal for Tommy and its three concurrent cases through the courts of New York. Returning to update us on this topic, we'd like to again welcome Stephen M. Wise. Mr. Wise first joined us in July of 2013 when he introduced us to the concept of habeas corpus rights for animals. Mr. Wise has been a practicing animal protection law nationwide for the last 30 years and teaches animal rights jurisprudence at Lewis and Clark, the University of Miami, and St. Thomas Law Schools. In addition, he's taught animal rights law at Harvard and John Marshall Law Schools, as well as he's published four books on the matter, including Rattling the Cage Toward Legal Rights for Animals. You can listen to our previous discussion on this topic by following the link in this episode description or by searching Should a Chimpanzee Have Human Rights on LegalTalkNetwork.com. Stephen, we'd like to welcome you back to the show. Hey, thank you for inviting me. Well, before we get started on the legal analysis, um, give our listeners some of the human aspect of this story, if to pardon the pun. Uh, how did you get involved with seeking freedom for animals? Well, I read uh, a book in, in 1980 now, uh, 34 years ago, uh, by an Australian philosopher named Peter Singer, who really brought my attention to the fact of, of uh, how we treated 
non-human animals, and I really had never thought about it very much. And uh, just reading that book caused me to to think very deeply about it. And uh, within a year, I was uh, changing my law practice from primarily human-based to non-human-based. And after um, working um, in in the area of animal protection for five, six, seven, eight, eight years, uh, I realized that that the fundamental problem was that non-human animals were not legal persons. They didn't have the capacity for legal right. They were legal things, which meant they were seen as uh, really existing for us legal persons. And until uh, non-human animals, at least some of them, were seen as legal persons, it struck me that their interests were never going to be able to be adequately protected. So about about 30 years ago, 29 years ago, in 1985, I decided that uh, I wanted to set out on a uh, journey of trying to get legal personhood for at least some non-human animals. And I figured it would take about 30 years before uh, before the, the society was ready, the legal system was ready, and of course we were ready to, to be able to bring that sort of a case. And uh, over the next 29 years, I, I, I began to teach in law schools, I published a series of law reviews, I wrote four books, and I, and I also founded the Non-Human Rights Project uh, in 2007 and began to attract a lot, dozens of really, really uh, smart minds, really good good minds, and we began to uh, to plot a strategic litigation campaign that then began in December 2013 with the filing of the uh, these uh, three lawsuits in three Supreme Courts in the state of New York. Well, Steve, forgive me here of just looking at it from a practical perspective, but uh, I'm sure that the chimpanzees are not paying you, so how are you financially surviving through this? Well, when I practice as an animal protection lawyer, which, which I still do, I, I just have regular clients. Uh, as, as more and more of my work began to be taken over uh, by uh, the non, Non-Human Rights Project, uh, I began to, uh, to get donations from people because we're a 501c3. And over the last few years, donations have been increasing enough so that uh, I think uh, either part-time or full-time, I think we probably have five people now who are working you know, in, in some way for money, and then we have dozens of others who, are, who re- remain as volunteers. See, when we last spoke uh, about a year and a half ago, you were planning on filing these habeas corpus suits that you just mentioned on behalf of the chimpanzees, demanding that the courts grant them bodily liberty, but you're not alleging mistreatment. Uh, what is the legal basis that you're, what's the construct that you're using to try and convince the courts that animals have rights? Well, we are not claiming that we're being innovative or novel, really. Um, I, I'm basing it on the, uh, on the case of um, Somerset versus Stewart, which was a case brought in 1771 in England on behalf of a black slave named James Somerset, who had been brought to England from Massachusetts and Virginia. And uh, he used, or his lawyers used, a common law, a writ of, writ of habeas corpus, and uh, successfully, too. And I studied that. Indeed, my third book was called Though the Heavens May Fall, and was really a study of, of how, how the common law writ of habeas corpus came about, how it was used, why Lord Mansfield, indeed, uh, felt he had to uh, then grant, grant the writ of habeas corpus and then give James Somerset his freedom. So uh, it, it was written as, as, as a roadmap, and, and it's really a roadmap that, that we are following more or less, although as, as we move from state to state, obviously each state will have different laws and 
different from the um, Court of King's Bench in 18th century um, England, but we're still following the general roadmap. And how is that working out? I mean, this is a significant setback. Oh, it, it's not for us. Uh, we, we understand that these sorts of cases are going to take judges a while to really understand, understand our legal issues especially. And uh, the, what, what, what happened last week was that uh, the first appellate court, uh, which is the one in Tommy's case, ruled against us um, on the ground that uh, Tommy could not be a legal person for the purposes of writ of habeas corpus because, uh, because in order to be a person, uh, one has to uh, be able to, to assume duties and responsibilities. And uh, we think that that is not right. And uh, we are on the, uh, on the verge now, probably within the next 48 hours or so, of filing a request for further, further um, appellate review to the Court of Appeals of New York. And if we don't get it from the third department, we'll then go to the Court of Appeals of New York ourselves it, itself and ask them if for further review. Um, it's just not so. Uh, the um, third department uh, cited a couple rather obscure law review articles, uh, but they did not cite controlling New York law. And uh, under New York law, uh, especially a uh, the so-called Byrne case, BYRN, in 1972, having to do with whether a fetus was a person for the purposes of the 14th Amendment, the New York Court of Appeals uh, set out um, the requirements for personhood and noted that, that it's not a matter of biology, it's not a matter of the natural order. What it is, it's a matter of public policy. And uh, we had filed extensive briefs, uh, both in the lower court and in the higher court, uh, uh, arguing public policy. And uh, we were disappointed that, that the court did not follow the Byrne case because, uh, I don't know why they didn't, we will find out, maybe. And, but because they didn't, and they simply grabbed onto this rather obscure way of viewing it, uh, they, they ignored the arguments from public policy that we made. And they also ignored the fact that the uh, New York legislature enacted a statute that is commonly referred to as the pet trust statute in which domestic or pet animals in the state of New York are, are uh, seen as b beneficiaries of trust uh, with an enforcer who, who, who can enforce their legal right to the uh, corpus of a trust. And uh, so there in the state of New York itself, you have an example of the legislature saying uh, these animals, are, we, they are going to be persons for the limited reason of, uh, or the limited purpose of being able to own the corpus of a trust. So these animals do not have, or at least no one has ever claimed they did, they, they don't have the uh, ability to assume duties and, and responsibilities. So both in a general way, on, uh, under the Byrne case, and also specifically the pet trust statute, New York courts and the legislature have already spoken and said that the, the um, legal rule that the court used simply is not the rule for the state of New York. So we feel that uh, we have a reasonable chance of getting further review by the Court of Appeals, and we hope winning. But if we don't, we are going to be moving on to other states. We may we will file more suits in the state of New York. We'll be we'll be filing suits on behalf of other species of animals, and we will uh, be focusing on whatever issues the court m might raise if we lose a case.
What do, what do you think the most pet-friendly state is for filing these kind of lawsuits? The state of New York. We, well, not, not so much a, a pet-friendly state. Apparently not uh, now. A chimpanzee is, really is not, it's not a pet. A chimpanzee is not a pet. And a chimpanzee is, a, uh, is an autonomous and self-determining being, uh, which we, we brought about 100 pages of affidavits from some of the, the most respected ape cognition experts in the, in the world, from, from Japan and Sweden and Germany, England, Scotland, and the United States. And we showed very clearly that chimpanzees indeed uh, have these extraordinarily complex cognitive abilities and that they are autonomous and self-determining beings. What is the so, litmus, what, what's the litmus test that we should be employing to make that evaluation? Well, you have to uh, look at the scientists who spend their lives studying the uh, behavior of the, these animals, and they're the best sources of being able to tell us what, you know, what sort of minds these animals have. So uh, at least for the purpose of an, of a, an, an ex parte uh, common law writ of habeas corpus, we brought in 100 pages of affidavits from nine scientists who make it clear that they are autonomous. Now, if we, when and if we get a contested hearing, then we'll have examination, cross-examination. Someone else can bring in their experts potentially, and we will see whether our experts' um, evidence show, um, holds up in court, which we think it will. Uh, so they clearly are, but for purposes of a common law writ of habeas corpus, which does not mean freeing the chimpanzee, it means issuing the writ of habeas corpus so that the other side has to come in and give a legally sufficient reason for why they are holding the chimpanzee captive. For those purposes, we feel that, uh, that we have provided uh, a surfeit of, of, of facts. And who is the other side in these cases? Who is it that is the defendant that is uh, being potentially ordered to, to uh, be subject to the habeas corpus order? Yes. Well, there's three suits we filed. Um, Tommy um, is claimed to be privately owned and lives in a, in a cage in a, in a uh, building in a trailer park. Uh, that's in a, in a small uh, town in central New York. In Niagara Falls, Kiko whose appeal I argued about one week ago in, in Rochester, in the fourth department, lives in a primarily in a cage in a cement storefront in the middle of Niagara Falls. And then Hercules and Leo are two young chimpanzees who are being used for biomedical research at Stony Brook University on Long Island. So uh, uh, when we, when we re-sue them, we... we sued them a year ago. The court threw our case out on a procedural point, which we think that they were clearly wrong on, but we thought it'd be easier for us if we, if we simply refiled the case, which we are doing rather than go through the entire appellate process. So we are refiling their writ of habeas corpus in the next two weeks, and we'll be filing suit in, in the uh, Supreme Court of Manhattan. But uh, there was, since there are state defendants, we will get the office of the New York Attorney General in, which we're looking forward to. Excellent. When you go to the other states, you, uh, there will be similar types of situations than individual animals under the care of or not care of other people? Yes. Uh, well, there, there are um, several possible causes of action that we have been looking at, but we're primarily, at least for the near future, going to be um, looking primarily at writs of habeas corpus for the ne near term, but we are developing other possible causes of action uh, at, as well, and they could um, uh, change from 
state to state. Well, what was the New York Supreme Court's ruling? Or why was it against you? What What was the basis for them saying that animals don't have uh, legal rights? Well, the Supreme Court had simply ruled that that Tommy was not a person for purposes of a writ of habeas corpus, and that that was pretty much it. Um, we were kind of at a disadvantage because of the fact that it was an ex parte hearing, so we did not know. Uh, we did not know what arguments the other side might make. The judge was not really clear. He just simply said a chimpanzee is not a person. Uh, when we then appealed up to the um, third department, again, there w- the, um, the other side uh, did not participate, so they did not file a, gr- file a brief or engage in oral arguments. So it was really hard for us to know which of the you know dozens and dozens of reasons um, a court could conceivably rule against us, so we had to uh, we had to address as many possible objections as we could think of in our, in our brief. Uh, once the the appellate court ruled against us on the specific ground that that only a, a um, an entity uh, who could could assume rights and duties could be a person for the purposes of a writ of habeas corpus or any other purpose. That was the first time that in the last year, or ever actually, that we had some kind of a hint from a judge as to what they didn't like about our arguments. So when we go up to the uh, Court of Appeals, then assuming that we are allowed to do so, we will be able to then focus very clearly on that issue. We've already begun to do that because we've, we're almost finished drafting a motion for leave to go to the Court of Appeals, and we have about a 12 or actually about a 19-page memo that we're almost done with that we've been working furiously on over the last five days uh, to get to the uh, court seeking further review. And I think there, now that we have an idea as to why a judge might not like the argument, we can focus on that argument. And I think we have, um, I think we have very good arguments against it. Is there any guidance that any of the United States courts or state courts can take from any other country? Is there any international protection for chimpanzees as uh, humans anywhere in the world? Well, uh, as persons, because humans and persons are not the same thing. Because humans is a biological category or taxonomic category, and persons is a legal category. It means any entity having the capacity to have a legal right. Um, in fact, that's one of the um, things we, we brought and will bring again to the attention of the New York courts is um, sister Commonwealth ju- common law jurisdictions uh, have held or a number of times that entities um, that are not even alive are persons. So we, we cited them a case of the Indian Supreme Court in 2000 that, that held that the holy books of the Sikh religion was a person uh, pre independence Indian courts holding that a Hindu idol was a person, that a mosque was a person. And we also uh, showed them a 2012 treaty between the um, indigenous peoples of New Zealand and the Crown in which it, it was agreed that a river was a person and it owned its own bed. And so what that means is it, it, it kind of um, hits home our point that a, 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 a person is not a human being. In fact, it's not a biological concept at all. It's a legal concept. And as the New York Supreme Court had said in, in the Byrne case, where they were dealing with a human being because they, they said that a, human fe- that a fetus was a human being but still would not be a person for the purposes of the 
a Fourteenth Amendment. So it these things kind of hit home that that as the Byrne case said that whether an entity is a person or whether an entity is not is is strictly a matter of public policy, and it's not a matter of taxonomy or biology. And so that's what we're hitting. We're saying first first we have to agree that it is a matter of public policy, and then we have we have dozens and dozens of pages of public policy arguments uh, under the common law for why Tommy should be a person, not in a general way, but for the purposes of a, of a common law writ of habeas corpus. Well, Steve, before we move on to our next segment in our show, we're going to take a break to hear a message from our sponsor. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No. With most cloud computing providers, moving your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And even if you have an existing legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O dot com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. This is Craig Williams, and with us is Stephen Wise, an animal rights attorney. And we've been talking about freeing chimpanzees as a consequence of a habeas corpus order and establishing them as having human rights. Well, Steve, I, I've read some of if the. If I mat- may say, we're we're not arguing that chimpanzees should have human rights. We're arguing that chimpanzees should have legal rights that are appropriate to a chimpanzee. So we're really saying that a chimpanzee should have chimpanzee rights, and a human should have human rights. Thank you for the clarification. In our last show, you mentioned an interest in pursuing habeas corpus rights for animals other than chimps. Uh, and I didn't follow it up at the time, but uh, I'd like to now. So if you're successful with chimpanzees, mm-hmm. what species are you going to go next? Well, even if we're not successful, we're looking at those non-human animals that we think we have um, excellent scientific evidence for um, that they are uh, autonomous and self-determining beings. Because as we point out to the New York courts, that autonomy, the ability to self-determine are are really supreme values in the common law and in constitutional law as well and we point out that that in new york someone uh, uh who is a who is competent may say i don't want a blood transfusion and the courts will then allow them to die so their autonomy is even more important than is their life and so we are looking uh for those non-human animals who scientists have studied for a long time and the published scientific literature says that these are indeed autonomous and self-determining beings. So that is, we believe, based on the scientific evidence now, would be all four species of great apes, which would be chimpanzees, bonobos, gorillas, orangutans, both species of elephants, which would be um, African and Asian, and one, maybe two 
species of cetaceans, maybe maybe more orcas, you know, dolphins, whales. Those these are the animals that uh, the scientific evidence seems strongest for. What kind of support are you getting, and who are you getting the support from? You mean uh, moral support, legal support, or financial? Moral, legal, <laughs> uh, financial, emotional. How do you? <laughs> this is a lonely fight. Uh, not as lonely as you might think. Um, we, it, it, when I first began in 1980, I do concede it was a very lonely fight. Uh, now we are the subject of media attention throughout the world. You know, hundreds and hundreds of articles have been written written about us over the last few years. Uh, we were on. We were the cover story for the Sunday New York Times Magazine in April, April 28th, I think of 2014. I was just on the Colbert show in July. And so uh, we're bringing our, our work to the attention of, you know, of hundreds of million, millions of people. And we get, um, we get money, we get uh, moral support. We have lawyers flooding in who are trying to give us their um, uh, help, the benefit of their uh, experience. We have non-lawyers who are flooding in. In fact, we now have a list of, 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 of dozens and dozens and dozens of people who want to help us, but we simply don't need it right now. Uh, and, and we're also working with lawyers and legal organizations throughout the world in um, England, Switzerland, um, Argentina, um, Portugal, Spain, Australia, and other places uh, who we're trying to um, help them achieve the same sort of goal that we're trying to achieve. So uh, while 30 years ago I was very lonely, we are, I'd say right now we're more overwhelmed than lonely. What's the uh, slippery slope consequence of your work? I mean, are we to the point where we're going to be seeing uh, in the future lawsuits against zoos to free animals that are on display? Well, there are different kinds of places where animals are being imprisoned. And we, for example, are, are not trying to have the, the uh, door of Tommy's cage opened and have him go out into the, in, into the human world. We're trying to move him to a sanctuary called Save the Chimps in the state of Florida, in South Florida, not far where, from where I, I am, where he will live on an island with two dozen other chimpanzees you know, in an artificial lake. I think there's 13 of these islands. There's about 250 the chimpanzees there, so he will still be, you know, in a larger sense confined, but uh, uh, but he will not be confined, you know, anywhere near the way he is if he's being kept in a cage, you know, on a uh, in 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 a large shed, you know, on on a uh, used trailer lot in the state of New York. So both of these are keeping him from being wild, but the problem is is that we can't release him back in, into the wild because he, he would die. So we have to put him, and we're trying to put him, in a place that would be as, as close to what a chimpanzee would want in, the, in North America. So I would say it's kind of a sliding scale. Uh, when someone is keeping them in a cage, you know, in, in a shed on a used trailer lot, that's kind of at one end. If they're keeping them on a on an, on a three acre island in a um, in a lake uh, in South Florida with you know, two dozen other chimpanzees, rather than being in solitary confinement as Tommy is, then that's a whole different thing. So zoos that are more that are are closer to what Save the Chimps is as 
as a sanctuary, it's unlikely that we would ever sue them and seek a writ of habeas corpus. But on a sliding scale, as you move more and more towards being in solitary confinement in a cage, we think that the argument for a common law writ of habeas corpus, uh, habeas corpus increases or strengthens. Well, we, one last question before we reach the end of our show. Sure. In, in certain circumstances, park rangers are frequently, and, and Department of Fish and Game and Fish and Wildlife folks are, are tasked with terminating animals that have become dangerous or have displayed menacing behaviors, uh, which kind of prompts the question of how will the uh, last days of, you know, assuming that you free chimps and you put them on the island and they live out their lives, are they going to die a natural death or will there be a point in time that someone else other than them will make a decision to uh, euthanize them? They will die a natural death. No one is euthanized there um, unless they are in the last stages of um, terminal illness, uh, something like being a human being in the state of Oregon. But other than that, these um, chimpanzees are there to live out a natural life and have a natural death. Excellent. Well, we have just about reached the end of our programs. It's time to wrap up and get your final thoughts along with your contact information. So let's, uh, Steve, we'll turn it over to you. Sure. Well, uh, you know, we're, we're in the very first stages of a strategic litigation campaign. It, it's been planned for now about 29 years. It's been in intense planning for the last eight. And uh, win or lose, uh, we're going to be moving on from state to state, from species to species, from cause of action to cause of action. And uh, we think that uh, we are going to win. We don't know how soon we're going to win. but And winning means we're going to have a court recognize that at least one non-human animal you know, has a legal right for purposes of something like a writ of habeas corpus. And from there, we'll, we'll see where we go. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for being on our show. Uh, how can our listeners reach out to you? Uh, look, uh, we can be found on Facebook, Non-Human Rights Project, or if you go to our website, it's uh, www.nonhumanrights.org. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being on the show, Stephen Wise. Uh, we very much appreciate it. I'm Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.